I'm Liz Gold, and you're listening to Conversations. Stories about strength, courage, and making it through. I'm glad you're here. Conversations. I'm your host, Liz Gold. Thanks for being here. My guest today is Pallavi Gunalan. How did I do? Pallavi Gunalan. <laughs> Terrible. It was closer than the normal Americanization of it, which is Pallavi Gunalan or something. I don't know how they say my last name, but you did way better than Pallavi. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. Thank you for correcting me here. So let me tell you a little bit about you. Okay. So you're a, bio- <laughs> you're a biomedical engineer, stand-up comedian, improviser, actor, and writer, and have performed at festivals and venues all over the world, including Laugh Factory, Fresh Faces, San Francisco Sketch Fest, Pacific Crest Comedy Festival, the Portland Queer Comedy Festival, and a host of other venues, which you can go check out her website, palavigunalong.com. <laughs> if you say it really fast, it, it goes better. <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible. And you know, the sad thing is I was practicing this before we even came on here. So I appreciate you correcting me. And I know you do bits about this too. So I for sure do. I think my only issue with people getting my name wrong is when they get mad at me for them pronouncing it incorrectly. Like people will say my name wrong for a really long time. And I just like let them because I have hobbies and like, don't want to take forever to teach them how to say my name if they're not getting it. So I appreciate when people like ask me, but then beyond that, I'm just like, I got other shit to do, you know, like I'm not going to sit here and coach this one person. So I only ever get mad if they get mad at me. (laughs) No, I'm not mad at you. I appreciate you correcting me and I apologize for pronunciation. So also you co-host the facial recognition comedy podcast, you know, everybody should check out because it explores topics ranging from politics to pop culture to family and love with other comics, Fiza Dasani and Zara Ali. How did I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. theirs are way easier. They make fun of me for my name being hard. And I'm like, this is anti-Brown and you're Brown. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Okay. Yeah. No, I just started listening to it. And I know the last episode, what, there was a bit about polyamory, which I thought was really interesting and relevant and I related to. And then you also do a web series Dirty Science, where you explain scientific concepts in a quick and dirty way. And I saw the thing, the piece you did on intermittent fasting, which I'm actually doing. And oh, there, really? Yeah. And there were a lot of words in there that I did not understand, like way went over my head, but it was still really fucking funny. So thank but, you. <laughs> intermittent fasting. Yeah. What a trip. So welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah. So that's like the first time I ever did an intro like that. That was kind of fun. So, you know, first things first, you know, thank you for saying yes to a random white Jewish queer femme who just like slid into your DMs and asked <laughs> without knowing me. You know, that takes a certain amount of trust. And I, you know, I was nervous to reach out to you because I was like, this person's going to think I'm like a weirdo comedy fan, but I guess I know that I am. I mean, that's how we all start out, right? Before we make podcasts and get on stage, we're all just weirdo comedy fans. Yes. I mean, here you are. I took my chances and you're here and dreams do come true, people. So, I mean, take those chances. So, but I originally saw you at the Siren Theater in Portland, Oregon back in November, which feels like a fucking lifetime ago. Forever ago. Please. And you were really funny and just 
you know, dirty. And I just really loved it. And I was like, who is this person? And I just started on following Instagram. So that's like a little bit of the story about, you know, how I like came across, you know, what you were doing. And originally, when I reached out to you a month ago, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, the pandemic and how it's like affecting your stand up career. And, you know, it was right around the time of the murder of George Floyd. And you said, can we do it another time? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, and at that point, I took a few weeks off from this podcast. And, you know, so here we are, it's June 25th. And I always like to say the date because we are living in the time of the pandemic and time is just very weird right now. Mm -hmm. And today, actually, Tamir Rice would have been 18 had he not been shot and killed at the age of 12 by a white police officer in Cleveland for playing in a park uh, in 2014. And given like the current climate of intense anti-Black racism, police violence, police brutality, targeting Black people, and the relentless transphobia against Black trans folks that's going on, you know, which is honestly, obviously been going on for decades upon decades. And now we're like reaching a tipping point, I think, in this country's history of like systemic oppression inequality. People are paying attention. And by people, I mean white people. And I want to give space to that here, not to white people, but like how does this, how systemic violence, you know, and white supremacy plays out that this is not just like business as usual, right? So I know that you recently helped raise over 50 grand in like less than a week, right? To total, to like be donated to the ACLU, Black Lives Matter, the NWACP Legal Defense Fund, Fair Fight Action and Bail Project. And you have been supporting, you have a supporting Black Lives mailing list and a Google Doc of resources, including action items, you know, places to donate, places to support Black-owned businesses in your Instagram profile. So, I mean, how did you end up raising that much money so quickly? Yeah, first of all, I just want to say I love that you said we want to hold space for that here, not white people. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah, so... I actually never like reschedule work stuff for comedy. It's something that I rarely ever do. Like I've done it for my dog almost died one time and I rescheduled a show. But even when I'm sick, which is really bad, I would normally like go and and perform. Except during the pandemic, I was really encouraging people not to perform because of people dying. So when I rescheduled the podcast, it was just because I was very wrecked from everything that was happening. And so I appreciate you being really gracious and letting me do that. So I started just kind of like seeing all of the stuff that my friends who are very activist minded or activists themselves were posting. And I just felt like there was a lot of information to organize. So I created a Google Drive and it has a bunch of different folders and documents and it organized kind of by like, like what you said, action items and everything. And I just turned my comedy my personal comedy mailing list into a mailing list for Black Lives Matter. It's like, well, for it's, I call it supporting Black Lives just to make sure that they know that I'm not doing anything on behalf of the actual BLM organization. It's just a separate thing that I'm doing for people who are my friends. And now a lot of other people have joined as well. And so we have like action items that I try to send out every twice a week. And unfortunately, what I've learned is that the thing that I keep updating is like justice for individuals, for petitions and GoFundMes for people that have been killed, for Black people that have been killed by the police or due to other injustices that is very closely related to police violence. And that is like the most heartbreaking part of having to do the list is just 
continuously adding new names I hadn't heard of. So that's been really painful. But I turned my comedy mailing list into the mailing list for supporting Black Lives. And I had my friends from college, a lot of my friends from college work in tech because I did engineering. And there are a lot of like computer science friends and other engineering friends on there. And a lot of them work in the tech field now up in Silicon Valley. So I had a friend who works for a company who was matching 200%. And once I started sending those mailing lists out, she kind of realized that it could be an opportunity for us to collect a lot of money and match up to as much money as we could. So she had a they had a cap that the company had a cap that they would match up to 20,000. So we would collect 10,000 and then they would match 20,000. But then what we ended up doing was we just collected more than that. And we got a friend of hers, a coworker to take the rest and donate in their name so that it would maximize the matching by 200%. So we ended up raising like, I think over 16,000 of raw donations between the two of us and our networks in like less than a week. And then that got us a total of, so from us, 16,000 and from the company over 33,000. So it was like about 50,000. So that was really cool. (laughs) And I might like try to do something similar to that in the future, but there are like a lot of places to donate. And I'm sending out like even individual GoFundMes and stuff for people who are struggling now trying to get, like there are a lot of queer black people, black people, homeless black people who just like need support now. And I think it's really important that we give them that support before it's too late. And the GoFundMes are for memorial services, you know, like there are a lot of like homeless youth that need safety and protection. And so I'm hoping that the people on the mailing list will continue to give to these individuals or like organizations that support these individuals. Yeah, great. I'm seeing more and more organizations pop up to support, especially like trans um, black women, you know, to get them housing. And so that's been great to see. And I mean, when you sort of switched over your mailing list for black lives, were most people responsive? Did you have any people push back? I have had like, I think I had to transfer it to MailChimp really quickly because I like got locked out of my account because I sent too many emails in one week, like the first week that I did it. Because now it's at around 600 people, like it's like 580 something or, or something like that. But at the time it was at like 400 and something. And you're only allowed to send, I don't know how many emails in a 24 hour period or something. And I got locked out. So then I had to switch over to MailChimp and I could see how many people unsubscribed. So I think there was one person who messaged me and was like, like, keep fighting the good fight, but this just isn't the way I want to do it. And I respect her and she is a person of color. So I know that she is an ally in this, but you know, if people don't want to be in it, I kind of had in the, in the opening mailing list, I was like, if you'd like to unsubscribe, ask yourself why, <laughs> like kind of shaming people into, to not caring, but I know she cares. So with her, it wasn't as big of a, an issue. And she was encouraging me to continue doing what I was doing. She just wanted to do it a different way. But no, I think other people have like quietly unsubscribed from the the MailChimp. It was just like a few people, but out of like the 580, it's like 576 or something, you know what I mean? So it's like most people stayed on it. And what's really nice, I don't always respond to these emails because I've been really busy, but people will respond to like individual emails that I send out and they'll say like, just thank you. And they've kept doing that, which is really nice. Like I see them all. I just can't keep on top of responding to all of them. So that's been really sweet for them to keep encouraging me because it is really hard to keep track of everything. And this is like a constant thing. I think that people were talking about allyship fatigue and it's just, and I felt burnt out from the amount of time I was spending on this, but that's something that I noticed like black people on Twitter, which black Twitter is like the funniest shit 
ever. It's like, if you're not on to, if you were not on to black people on Twitter, like black, black run accounts, like you're missing out so much because they were the funniest at the height of the most painful moments. And I don't know how they were able to balance it, but it was so fucking funny. But they were making fun of this allyship fatigue because it's like, oh, great. You've been fighting racism for like a week and now you're tired. So I saw that and I was like, oh, shit. You know, like basically I just needed a nap and then needed to get back at it, you know? (laughs) So it's kind of like just, you know, black people have been like gaslit and tortured and, you know, their families have been destroyed by the government systematically for as long as they've been here and they were taken here. And so it's like, it's not on us to get tired. Like if we get tired, then we're not really fighting alongside them. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't even know where I was going with that, but <laughs> I appreciate where you said, it. I mean, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not like really on Twitter, you know? And so I don't follow black Twitter, but now I want to know like all the people that you follow, but like, yeah, I, I, I would imagine that, you know, humor helps even in the most painful times, but I don't know. I have like a list too on the drive of like abolitionists to follow on like Instagram and like activists to follow on Twitter. But then there's also just like really funny ass black comics that I know from being a comedian. And just like Jabuki Young White was just like tweet after tweet was like fucking perfect. Like when the supposed like looting was happening, you know how people were getting all upset about that, not focusing on the the proper issue at hand. Jabuki tweeted something like, I think he tweeted something like old white people are just mad that their old property is stealing their new property, which is like the image that conveys is so fucking incredible and like incisive, you know? But yeah, he's just like, he just doesn't miss. He's just so funny. Yeah. I don't know why I'm not on Twitter. I mean, Twitter, there's so much information coming out. Yeah. I think Twitter is where revolutions happen. Like the Egyptian change in was it 2011 2012 like as those regimes shifted all of that shit was coming out on twitter every like person has access to social media so all of the information that you couldn't get through news media you could get on twitter and yeah not all of it is verified or whatever but it's how you it's how individuals manage to gain a voice through oppressive situations so a lot of my friends who are kind of in like a nerd bubble and you know don't really see what's going on i think twitter and instagram and stuff it is what you make it. So it's like you can gain a lot of information you wouldn't otherwise have. All of the information that I'm putting in my mailing list, I get from social media. Mm -hmm. So it's like you can have other people do the work for you or you can like use that to your advantage and go find information and follow like these activists and curate your feed. It doesn't have to be stuff you don't want in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just gonna say you can curate it. And I mean, so in terms of your list, people can actually sign up for it, right and get it. Yeah, so you just need to message me or email me. And I don't know if you're gonna post this with my socials, but I'll spell it. It's P-A-L-L-A-V-I-G-U-N-A-L-A-N. And that's my Instagram and my Twitter and my Facebook. But yeah, Instagram and Twitter, I'm usually on a lot. And then you can also email me at comedy at gmail.com. And just send me your email address and send me if you tell me you want to be on the mailing list. And if you'd like to be in our book and movie club, which we have, we have a book and movie club. I think the book club meets like once a month, maybe we haven't, we haven't done our first meeting, but the movie club is going to be like every two weeks, I think. Yeah, yeah. That's all like for black authors, black directors and documentaries, etc. that are important to history that are relevant to black lives. That sounds amazing. So yeah, I'm going to put this all in the show notes so people will have access to it and know how to get in touch with you. In terms of social, like I've been thinking a lot about this is that Facebook is, you know, one of the top donors for Facebook is 
somebody on the board of Facebook is a top donor for Trump. And I'm just like, how safe is it for us to be putting all of this shit out on Facebook? Oh yeah. I can't really speak to that because I've been very reckless with myself because I'm a comedian. So, and I like use TikTok and stuff, which I know that there's like compromise. It's a conflict of interest because of how like the Chinese government, I guess, is using the information. I'm pretty ignorant on a lot of these subjects, but I do know that there is a responsibility for us to utilize and support corporations, you know, that are like, you know, support services that value their workers. So like, I'm going to let my Amazon subscription lapse, (laughs) which is going to be painful, but whatever. But I think for a lot of the social media stuff, it's really hard because it's how individuals organize. So I think it's like with Twitter and Instagram and, and Facebook, mostly Twitter, I think, has been really helpful. But with everything, actually, I think it's like a compromise because it's like, I don't want to have to use a company that has these types of people on their boards or that profit so deeply off of our data. But simultaneously, it's the best way to get information to people and to also try to save lives, you know? So it's kind of, I don't fault people for using these platforms because right now we don't have an alternative that gives us access to as many people and as much information that can contribute to like a revolution, you know? No, I agree. I mean, I don't think it's, we can't get off of it right now. There's too many people on it and there's too many things that need to get out to those people. So I just wish there was an alternative, you know, that was independent to Trump and his, you know, grumpy cronies. So, I mean, it sounds like you're really busy, you know, I mean, are you working? Like, are you, because you're an engineer and, you know, this pandemic hit, but you're also doing all of this activism, which sounds like updating the Google file and, and doing all of this important work. I mean, how are you managing it all? I'm actually pretty broke because I quit my PhD in December to focus on stand-up comedy. And then like in February, I got in a car accident. And then in March, I put my dog down and then the pandemic hit. So it's just been like a really shitty year, just even personally. And also with regards to the pandemic and all of this other shit, but you know, I'm alive and I'm healthy. So like, I got to just be grateful for that given, you know, the situation, but quit my, quit my PhD. It was a whole thing. I made a whole post. I was like, I had this over the shoulder picture of me, like looking back at my former career. (laughs) I was just like, I was like, I'm moving on. I love science. It was this whole heartbreaking decision that took years of me, you know, just constantly doing comedy at the sacrifice of my PhD to decide. And then now at the beginning of the pandemic in April, at the very beginning of April, I started volunteer engineering low cost open source ventilator to handle, to deal with the pandemic. And that's also all volunteer. So my only income is through tutoring, which I like have variable hours a week to week. And so I'm earning like way less than people on unemployment. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like barely making money, but I'm just kind of like, at this point, I'm just like, fuck it. You know, like I'm just going to be broke, but I'm going to do what I care about. And that's all that matters. You know, I think like right now, everybody's realizing that community really fucking matters. And so I'm just kind of hoping that (sighs) this is naive, but I'm just kind of hoping that if we make our community better, then I will be in a better situation regardless of what I'm making, you know? like years down the line. So. Yeah. so you quit your PhD. I mean, how far along were you in your PhD? I had done like three and a half years, but after the first year you go into a lab and I wasn't making as much progress in that lab just because I was so focused on comedy. So like I ended up leaving with a mass. They gave me like a master's, but I had a master's before that. So that wasn't the purpose of doing my PhD. I, I wanted to, you know, switch from a wet lab where I was physically experimenting with stuff 
to coding. And I did. I picked up a lot of like computational skills in, in my PhD, which was good. I was getting to do like artificial intelligence and machine learning and all this other shit. And it was dope. And I was learning a lot. But you know, you, you can have two careers at the same time where you're constantly like, I just want to do a podcast instead of doing my research. <laughs> so it was just really hard to balance. And then I have a sleep condition. I have sleep apnea. So I like was even less effective at that. So then I was just like, I can't keep doing this. And I got a few positive indicators to continue my dreams and entertainment. And then the pandemic hit. And now I'm just kind of like, well, I guess I'm working from home on everything, reprioritizing. But I'm still like doing shows and I'm still like writing and stuff. So yeah. And I mean, so how did you get into stand up comedy? Like, how did you know you wanted to do that? Um, I didn't even know it was possible to do until my boyfriend at the time, I'm currently incredibly single, he started doing improv. And I was like, Oh, you could just like do comedy. <laughs> like You just do improv. And we had done like sketches and like silly videos and stuff in college. But I didn't realize you could like be a part of the community like that until I saw him and my other friend doing it. And then I didn't really have the means financially. And then with time, to the schedule do improv even though I really wanted I went to his shows and you know improv girlfriend very supportive and then I was like for some reason I saw a friend try to do an open mic and I kind of had that thing that a lot of people have where they're like I can do that but then most people can't you know <laughs> like I saw that and then I also saw my boyfriend or like I saw him perform at SF Sketchfest, and then we went to an after party. I was a huge comedy nerd. Like I listened to all the podcasts. I watched all the specials. And so then I went to this after party where it was just all these famous people. And I was just like, I want to be around these hilarious... And it wasn't because they were famous. It's because I like knew them from their comedy. And I was just like, I want to be around these people. I just want to hang out and make jokes with these people. And so then the next day I went and did an open mic. I asked the local stand-ups where they did an open mic and I went and did an open mic the next day. And then I got to come back to another party, another Sketchfest party and talk to John Hodgman about it. And like, I made Paul F. Tompkins laugh and then Todd Berry roasted me. And then I was like, this is incredible. So that was cool. That was like my first open mic experience. But then my schedule was so bad. And then my boyfriend and I were breaking up. It was just like downhill relationship. And I was having a bad situation with my roommates. So it took me a few months before I did another open mic. And then I, it took me a few months before I did another one. And then I had planned on going to grad school. So I was like, when I moved down to LA, once I decided to move to LA instead of somewhere else, I was like, I'm just going to go hard with comedy. And then I moved down here for my PhD and I did. So that was the beginning of the end, I guess. Wow. And, and so where were you living before? San Francisco. So at first I was living in Pittsburgh and doing this long distancing with my boyfriend and watching him do improv with my other friend and just being like sad I couldn't be doing it with them. And then I moved to SF and then I got like way too busy. I couldn't afford it at first and then I got way too busy. And then I don't know why, but for my first stand-up open mic, I wouldn't let him come with me. I was like, no, I wanted to do projects with him all the time. I wanted to like do like sketches and little things. And I was always like pushing him to do stuff with me because I was like hella clingy at the time, which now I'm like completely the opposite. Probably says a lot about me, but he, he like, I wouldn't let him come to the open mic. He wanted it to be like a thing that we did together. And I was like, no, this is my thing. Like for some, I don't know what in me made me do that, but I was like, you can't come, which I'm so glad that it, it basically meant that I like started stand up alone. And it was my special thing. And so I feel like happy that I got to experience that, you know? No, I understand that. Like wanting something for yourself and not yeah. be reliant on somebody else or have them around or, you know, that other energy. Yeah. 
were you nervous like getting up in front of people or were you like excited? I was, I was probably like, I probably was like a little nervous, but I think I don't really remember being nervous. I just remember being like excited and just like, I don't know what's going to happen. But I only started getting nervous when I started performing at places where people I really respected in comedy, like who's kind of like, not only I respect my peers and everything, I love them, but you know, it was just people I didn't know as well that I knew were very like well esteemed in comedy. But when they would show up, I would want to impress like one or two people in the crowd. But then you just bomb enough times that you're like, it doesn't fucking matter, you know? (laughs) Like, so it's only like at certain things where you're like, almost auditioning in front of industry or something that I get nervous and want to do well. But honestly, given how I haven't been on stage since I want to say like beginning of March, I truly don't give a fuck and would just be so grateful to be on stage right now. Sorry, there's cops in the background because I live in downtown LA and there's now cops all the time here. So... What's it like to bomb? Like, how was that to like get up? Oh, it feels bad, but it still feels good. And it's weird. (laughs) Like, it's still like, I never, I never bomb and then get off stage and regret having performed. I've never felt that way. I've always just fucking awful. I felt like tortured. I've gone like over sets over and over. Like, why didn't this work? What did I do wrong? Like what happened? I played them over and over and I felt terrible and like no one likes me or that like none of my peers respected me. You know, it was just like, it's all of those things. There were times at the very beginning, whenever I would bomb, it would be like 15 minutes of me pacing outside and I couldn't talk to anyone because I was just feeling so bad about myself as a comedian and not funny. And then you fucking realize like whatever, like you'll get over it thousands and thousands of sets you're doing. So it's like, you know, it's going to feel shitty, but you're going to watch somebody else bomb some other t- later that night, you know? So it's gonna- no, I have so much respect for stand-up comics. I was dating a stand-up comic and I mean, it was so intense to watch. I mean, in her early days, like I would go to open mic nights and I would see a lot of bad comedy. Sorry. Yeah. But I mean, I was supportive girlfriend, you know, it just takes so much. I fucking think guts to get up there to like be able to tell stories and tell jokes with no notes, no prompting, a live audience. I mean, how there's not much that more raw than I feel like that you could get because you're just really right up there in front of people, you know? I feel, I feel like with some people, it's like guts and with other people, they're idiots. So it's like they like don't, they're not self-aware and then they just get up there and do whatever. It's like arrogance. Do you know what I mean? Like for some people, it's like, oh, wow, like you really like said something up there or even, you know, even if it's observational or whatever, it's just like really good and interesting. And then for other people, they're just like bad comics. So then you're just like, I don't know what this is. I don't know what prompted you to do this. No, I know. The worst is like watching a comic and you're just not laughing the entire time. And it's like, I have had that experience where I'm just like, I want to give this person a laugh, but it's just not fucking funny. Like, I'm sorry, you know? But there are plenty of times where it is not funny just in that moment, but that person kills with that material elsewhere. But what I don't like is just like, it genuinely like comics who are like not good. You know what I mean? Cause like you can have a bad set, you can have several bad sets and still be a great comic. You know, there's just people who are like kind of crazy or whatever and, or just offensive to be offensive or, you know, all sorts. Anybody can do it. Oh, sorry. Anybody can do it. So it's just like, there's no gatekeeper to open mics at least. So you see a lot of crazy shit. Yeah, that's true. Everybody's welcome at an open mic mostly. I mean, who do you really like as a comedian? Like, who do you look up to? I decided to like reassess this and I haven't fully figured it out because of 
there's a lot of stuff happening in comedy um, that we don't have to get into, but there's a lot of stuff going on with kind of just like women demanding basic respect as humans, you know? So I'm trying to like raise my standard for the type of material I tolerate. For example, I really love Dave Chappelle. I've met him in person and he's very kind to people, but also I really had a hard time with the special before the 846 one because a lot of the stuff he said, I just thought was like transphobic or homophobic or what, you know, rather like I thought he kind of dumbed down his angle for that, but then was able to elevate it to a higher, a better take for his, his ideas about race. I don't know if I want to like, he's, you know, he's so incredible as a comedian that it's just disappointing to see that happen. And so it's hard for me, you know, before I would have been like, oh, he's one of my favorite comics. But now I'm like, well, maybe I should raise my standard for my favorite comic to be able to, to have that empathy with every subject, you know, regardless of how he's very like naturally funny. He's a, a legend, you know, that's the, I'm only comparing him to himself. But so I'm kind of like reassessing. Recently, a Daniel Sloss's ex came back up because it talked about, you know, like rape. And it's a very interesting, a lot of his specials, the first half is really silly and all over the place. And then the second half is kind of like a, he describes it as like a TED talk kind of thing. But it's what I like about Daniel Sloss and that particular special that's been circulating recently is that he's able to take into account not only his opinion about something, but the potential responses to it and also address those, right? He's able to kind of consider other perspectives and even have answers for them, you know, or, or fold them into his views. So I feel like he's a very considerate comic in that he considers every angle. So I really enjoyed um, his last three specials because of that. I also always love Mulaney. Oh my God. Maria Bamford is like one of the nicest fucking people. I know her personally and she is like consistently kind, consistently goes out of her way to be kind and is also like managed. There's no one else that I know. Maybe there are, but like if you hear a Maria Bamford joke, you know, it's her, it's her joke, you know, like you can't steal Maria Bamford's jokes, right? They're just so uniquely hers and she folds in mental health issue like discussion into her comedy so seamlessly and without like pity you know what I mean like it's not like self-deprecating in a way that makes me feel sad or whatever it's just like so fucking funny and fun and I love it and she's she's just a great person yeah so those are those are people I've kind of been thinking about lately I know that there's a bunch more especially like POC and black comics but a lot of those comics unfortunately I think like there's so many like famous like white male comics that it's harder for people to have like a list of all the others but there's so many fucking incredible comedians Marcella Arguello is one of my friends and like she's just super funny I love Punky Johnson's comedy is really funny. It's just like all these people that I know that are about to like pop. Uh, Yadoye, he's really great. There's just so many people who are like getting like Twitter famous and like getting spots and stuff, but they're not like household names yet. Ida is really great. Yeah, I don't know, just so many people. Great, I love that. I'm gonna check those people out. I mean, do you feel like comedy is changing in a way. I mean, I feel like a lot of comedy in the past has been like disparaging against this group or that group, making them scapegoats or the butt of jokes. I mean, do you feel like that is changing? I mean, you can make people the butt of jokes if you're not an asshole. Do you know what I mean? Like there are people who could make the same joke about another group of people and 
we will take it from one and we won't take it from the other. And it's because we actually think that person is a racist or something. Do you know what I mean? Like you can, people always say like, oh, punch up. But there, I have seen people like punching down, but it's not punching down when they're clever about the joke. Do you know what I mean? Like you can talk about another group of people in sight and make fun of them, but in a fun way and not in just a like, I'm trying to be offensive or I actually think I'm better than them kind of way. Like I think anything can be funny, but it really depends on the context of everything. So yeah, I think things are getting better. Um, just taking offense, like people, you know, just being offensive with no punchlines and they're not like, I don't know. It's hard to say because like, I do see a lot of those people getting support and it can be disheartening, but I also just, you know, I see a lot of the feedback on that too. So I'm hoping that people change. I see a lot of younger people, a lot of like Gen Z comics that really give me hope. I really love the younger generation of, of comedians. And I say that not because I have more comedic experience because a lot of them have more comedic experience than I do because I started later, but just because I'm like actually older than them, but they give me a lot of hope because I think they like know how to be funny without being hateful, you know? Yeah. Nobody wants that. I mean, that's not funny, you know? Um, Yeah. How would you describe your comedy to somebody that, you know, hasn't necessarily experienced it? I would describe my comedy as both like goofy and dark. I feel like you would probably be better at describing my comedy than I would because you've seen me do it. I think I can be really like silly and like animated and weird, but then I also really love dark and dirty humor just because I think like, like people in my family and stuff have been like, why do you have to say the dark things or what the dirty things? And I'm like, why is dark and dirty vilified on its own? Like, why is that even a different category? Like, shouldn't we be talking to kids about sex and death because it's such a part of life already? Like, shouldn't we teach them to not be violent, which is everywhere and we're desensitized to? I feel like people's priorities are really messed up. Like, if I'm swearing and talking about sex, but I'm also pro-choice, right? Or And I'm, I have the right values, if I'm like fighting for people people's rights, then like that should be all that's focused on is like actual human suffering, right? How we joke about it and how we convey and communicate our own suffering or like our own stories, the words in which we use that shouldn't matter. I don't know why I went off on this tangent, probably because my parents are always like, see, clean humor, everybody can laugh at. And I'm just like, come on. (laughs) I was going to ask you about your parents because I remember seeing you and you did, you closed with this. Oh, I don't know if we can talk about that joke because it's pretty dark, but I do have a dark joke about my family, the one that you're talking about. And I try not to do it when it can get recorded because I care about my family and don't want them to be affected by it. So you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's my favorite joke to do, (laughs) but it's very dark and does not reflect my family well. But for the most part, my family is supportive. I think they wish the content of my humor was different in the same way that they, in throughout my life, have not laughed at my jokes. (laughs) Not all of them. Some of them they have and think are funny. But um, yeah, so I think like they were incredibly supportive and my dad especially really said all the right things when I told him I wanted to fully switch careers and he hasn't hesitated to call me a stand-up comedian to his friends and his colleagues. So, and I've actually like opened for my dad when he's a president of the American Society of Civil Engineers, um, which is actually a worldwide organization. And it's incredibly prestigious, a prestigious position to be in him having been elected to it by his peers. 
And I like taught an improv workshop at their giant conference in October. And I like opened up for him when he had to give his, I like did an intro for him that was comedic at a conference in January or something in the Bay. So it's like, he's really incorporated and accepted my love of this and my passion for it. We have other, you know, we have all families have our issues, but it was really cool to see how quickly they were able to, I mean, it took a couple years for, for my mom to, to like kind of understand what was happening, but I'm honestly feeling really grateful for them in the moment. Cause I'll literally call them now. And my dad, my dad and my mom will just rant about how important diversity is or how dumb Trump is. And I'm like, I have plenty of white friends that cannot do this with their families because their families are like Trump supporters or whatever. So I'm feeling really fucking grateful for my parents' priorities right now. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, and it's I love how you just immediately knew what I was talking about. And you know, the funny thing about that joke is like, I don't really even remember the content of the joke. Like, I mean, I remember was about you know like the subject I don't need to say out loud but I remember being like like it took my breath away that show yeah (laughs) it's fun I like it (laughs) yeah and I was just like and then you were done and I was like what do you mean you're done like (laughs) but uh, (laughs) probably a good thing to end on yeah that was pretty intense I mean and I also saw your video clip of the bad date which I would like watch like a few times you know the one where there's two people like sitting in the audience and they're on a date for the first time. And the woman, you're like, how's it going? And the woman is like, you're, you ask like how he is and she's like terrible or something. Do you remember? Yeah. That? This woman threw this man under the bus, dude. And they were sitting right in the front and they were like, her body language was like, I wish I had captured that more verbally. Like when I do crowd work, I try to like reiterate what the person is saying so that it can be captured for the rest of the audience. Cause not everybody can see and hear, you know, when we're in those situations. Yeah. But yeah, I asked how their date was going. I didn't even know. I was like, are you on a date? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, how's it going? And she was like, bad. And I was like, what? And like, so then I was just kind of responding to it. I love crowd work so much though, because it can completely like flip a room. Like you have no idea what's going to happen. And it's always worked better when people aren't trying to be like funny. They're just being honest, you know, that it's just so fun to like figure people out. I don't know. And then I was like, what are you talking about? Like, he seems like a good guy. And she was like, no. And it might've been like deeper shit there, but she was still on the date. So I was just like, I don't know that it can be that horrible. Like, I feel like she's just being kind of mean right now, but it, it was hard to interpret the situation. And I was going to, we did a Q&A at the end of that show and she and him had left by that time. I really wanted to talk to them towards the end and then they like to find out more. I, I get really fascinated with people's reactions to things. I think I laugh harder at how people react to things than the actual jokes. Like I'll watch comedians laughing at other comics and I'll laugh harder at how they laugh than the actual joke. Yeah, no, I mean, it was amazing because your response was like, fuck my set. Like you were like, went right for it. And oh yeah. Who says like, I'm like, no, how's it going? It's terrible. Like, I mean, that's amazing that she even... And she was being genuine. Like she didn't, she was not happy to be there. And it was her first date. That's the thing. I was like, whoa, she's like already decided. That's insane. I mean, I'll put that clip in the show notes so people can know what we're talking about. But, you know, and I mean, in terms of even performing, like obviously we're in the pandemic shit, but like, have you been performing over Zoom? Do you like doing that? Like, is it something you're doing? Yeah, I am. I have been performing over Zoom. Like generally like at least a couple times a week, which is 
like I like doing creative things and I also like seeing other comedians. So it's nice to see other people on Zoom because we'd be out every night for like six to eight hours. And that's how we got our like social exposure in, right? And now we don't really have that. And I miss all my friends. So it's nice to see them. But like, it's fun. But to me, I kind of treat it differently than I would being on stage. I just can't. There are comedians who love it and who feel like it's the same. And that's incredible. But for me, it's like sometimes I feel like happy in the moment. But a lot of times it's like I like I feel I just feel like being on stage is like so unique and incredible. And I just really miss it. And I wish I am never going to take it for granted again. And the fucked up thing was at the beginning of 2020, I was like, I'm going to be out and I'm going to get on stage every night. I don't care what it is. And I missed a couple because of the car accident and because of my dog and everything. But like I was out almost every night in 2020 until the pandemic. And I was grateful. I was so like happy to be on stage. And now I'm like, why (laughs) Why did this happen? But like, I don't know. I'm, it's going to take a while, but I'm super excited to get back to it. Yeah. I wonder when we're going to all be able to have that again. It's going to be the last thing because they're not essential and it's so many people. And part of the the joy of it is going to be, you know, being packed in or whatever. So it'll probably be after the vaccine comes out. But also people are doing it right now. I just don't trust it. And I think it's, I don't think it's responsible for them to be performing. Like DL Hughley recently passed out at a show and then they, afterwards they checked him and he was asymptomatic, but he was positive for COVID and he was on stage. So it's like, I'm sure he was in the green room. I'm sure he was walking around, you know, and with him being on stage, he's just spraying droplets everywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, he didn't know. And I'm sure if he did know, he wouldn't have gone up, but that's the thing with this virus is that you may not know and you may have it and it's just a risk. So I just don't think it's responsible for comedians to encourage people to gather that closely like that, even if we're a little bit further away from them. But are comedy clubs even open? Like, we'll see. Yeah. Wow. That's what I'm saying. And there are a lot of like underground shows happening in New York where they're not wearing masks. They're just sitting right next to each other. And I just think it's so bad. I also think that what's been frustrating to me has been a lot of these people support black lives matter, but Black lives are the ones that are most affected by COVID right now. They're the ones that are dying at disproportional rates Mm -hmm. because of a series of factors. But the end result is the same, is that they're the ones suffering the most, as always. So what blows my mind is people who like go to the protests and then don't take Corona seriously or go to the protests and don't take it seriously there and like hug and, you know, whatever, because they're caught up in the moment. But it's you're really undoing a lot of the things that you're trying to fight for. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. It's like cognitive of dissonance, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just think that people should really be careful because we're at what, over 120,000 now deaths? I know. It is crazy. And our, what's going on in California? Is it opening up there? It's opening up and we have rising cases in LA County. We're like, I think we're beating Florida at this point. Not good. Nope. Not good at all. How can people find you? I mean, we talked about this, actually. You listed off every single thing in terms of how people can find you online. But do you want to run through it again real quick? Sure. I'm Pallavi Ganalan, P-A-L-L-A-V-I-G-U-N-A-L-A-N, P-A-L-L-A-V-I-G-U-N-A-L-A-N. That's my Instagram, my Facebook, my Twitter, my TikTok. That's also my website, pallaviganalan.com. And then pallaviganalancomedy at gmail.com if you want to email me. Um, And yeah, hit me up, DM me or email me if you want to be on this mailing list. And I'm going to try and at some point post content again. Most of my stuff is just like BLM stuff because I think that's the most important thing right now. And it's, I feel weird 
posting my face too much, you know, because it just feels like other things are important. And also I have a mullet because of COVID. So not really into posting me much of me right now, but eventually I will again. And I have other older stuff that's uh, up there already that you can go see. And you're doing the podcast still. That's happening, right? Yeah. The podcast is happening. I'm going to try and try and find ways to get creative and make this tough stuff funnier. But right now I'm just caught up in my feelings. You know how it is. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yes, we all have them. So, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It's been awesome to talk to you and everybody go check it out. Go check Love You stuff out. Did I just butcher it again? It was like, I like it when you do it fast. I feel like it's better. It's uh, Pallavi. 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 Yeah, there you go. I feel like I need to record you saying it and I need to like sleep, put it under my pillow and maybe it'll like get in my head. It's Pallavi. Sure. That's why you're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I got it. I'm going to get it right. And the next time we talk, I will get it right. So um, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time. I know you're Thank working. you. All right, everybody. Until next time, thanks for being here. Conversations is produced by Rhino Girl Media, a communications consulting company. To advance or evolve your next communications project, check out my website, rhinogirlmedia.com, or contact me at liz at rhinogirlmedia.com. You can always follow me on Instagram at Gold. And if you like this podcast, please leave a review share it or send me some love. Thanks for listening. Until next time.